Um, anybody ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi? Yeah. A little bit of background on him. It's, he's not real important in the message this morning, but he was... Yeah, he probably could operate a post hole digger because uh, back in the day they dug post holes. But um, A monk uh, lived in the late 12th and early 13th century. He was pretty eccentric. He had grown up very wealthy. Uh, his father was a very rich man, so he had grown up with all the accoutrements. That's not in my notes because I couldn't spell it, but I can say it. Accoutrements of uh, everything that a wealthy person could have asked for. Well, well, he decided that he was going to take a vow of poverty. And that he, he, he just eschewed himself of wealth and possessions and even clothes. Walked around what we call in Appalachia naked. Because he didn't want any possessions. He didn't want anything. Some people say, I don't got nothing but the shirt on my back. St. Francis didn't even have that on purpose. He chose that. He was said to speak to and even preach to animals. So he was pretty um, Francis-ish. There's a lot of quotes, a lot of readings. Actually, I've got a little devotional book that's Prayers of St. Francis, and it's really pretty good. Um, and I'm not here to down him. There's a lot of writings, a lot of quotes that have survived to this day that are attributed to him. Anybody familiar with Rich Mullins? The guy that wrote Awesome God and other things. Him and his friends actually started a group, <clears throat> and they collectively called themselves the Kid Brothers of St. Frank in honor of Francis's vow of poverty and his free-spiritedness. And again, I mentioned him this morning because there's a quote that you've probably heard, maybe, maybe not, probably if you've been around church circles a long time, you've probably heard it, that's attributed to him. And the quote is, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Now, our text today is going to address that quote directly and it actually doesn't turn out too good for the quote but let's look at the passage what we're going to read today is Romans 10 13 through 21 we're going to focus on and, and don't stone me here we're going to focus on verses 14 15 and 17 now what's missing in that and 16 is missing we'll get to that in a minute oh well in several minutes but we're going to read 13 through 21 if you would stand. And, and we stand in reverence of the Word of God. Because the Word of God represents God. The Word of God is not God. The Bible is not God. We don't worship the Bible, but we do worship the God who inspired and wrote the Bible. So we stand in reverence to that. So Romans 10, we're going to read 13 through 21. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let me pray. God, we trust in your power as we approach your word. I ask humbly yet confidently that your Holy Spirit would convict us of our sins, that your Spirit would make the book alive to us, and us alive to the book, and that you would get glory from what we learn 
and more so what we do with it as we leave this place today. By the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You can be seated. Now what I just read is the second half of Romans chapter 10. And we'll finish chapter 10, if the Lord is willing, next week. And uh, I read verse 13, which we've already covered. And then I read verses 16 and then 18, 19, 20, 21. We'll cover 16, 18, 19, 20, 21 next week. This week, we're going to pull three verses out of this passage that we looked at. And I want to read, um, uh, let's not, let's just start with verse 14. That's where we'll start. 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now let me just tell you. That's a loaded verse. That's a big verse. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today, which is a long verse, too. It's one of those verses when you're memorizing something, you come to it, you're like, oh, that's a long one. And it is. It's a long one. It's got a lot of, what, three questions there that we're going to look at. <coughs> and it's going to be important to remember that we just came out of the last passage, which is why I read verse 13, that ended with verse 13 that said... For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's going to be important that you remember that because the question in verse 14, the questions in verse 14 directly stem from that statement. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's going to be saved? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Okay? So that's... I know, <laughs> I've thought about some of you guys that set through us through chapter 9, and we're going, geez, oh, Pete, no, I don't know. I can't get behind this. And then we finally got into chapter 10, you're like, okay, yeah, this is, yeah, this is, now this is what I believe. And again, I want to say to you, they're both right. They're both biblical. They're both doctrine. They're both God. And they directly show us who God is through the plan of salvation. Both of them, chapter 9, and you can't rip one out of your Bible and keep the other one, regardless of which one you prefer. As a matter of fact, you can't prefer one to the other. You're not allowed. Chapter 9, chapter 10 are both in the Bible. They don't and they don't, and, and Don said last week, somebody, I think it was Spurgeon said, somebody asked him, how do you reconcile Romans 9 and Romans 10? How do you reconcile God's election and man's free will? And Spurgeon said, I didn't think that friends needed to be reconciled. And it's true. These, these are not enemies. They're not at odds with one another. This is the same God who has worked out a plan of salvation that includes His election and the responsibility of man. And we're going to see today, <coughs> coming out of verse 13, what we're talking about today is a salvation issue, which makes it a pretty big deal. And nowhere, nowhere else in all of the Bible do we see the events leading to salvation so clearly and so plainly laid out. How does somebody become a Christian? We're going to see today the steps that happen. What has to take place for somebody to be a Christian, to be born again. So this is a very, very important verse, verse 14 in particular, but the adjoining context as well. But this, look at this verse. You ever tried to put something together that came with instructions that were just awful? All the males are going, yes, we do not use instructions. They're stupid things. We squash them between thighs. Yeah. Yeah, you got to serve somebody. Um, <laughs> bad pictures, like the directions have a picture, and you're going, what is that of? What, what, what? And you're looking through the pieces and the parts trying to find the part that the picture is supposed to be depicted. Bad pictures. Ambiguous arrows. This is my favorite one in directions. It's this curvy arrow that starts here and goes this way, and somewhere it's twisted, and I'm going, I don't know what's going at. I hate instructions, but I use them. Remember last week, Dad 
I was dad's hero because I followed the instructions, got his TV stand put together. Not so much with the post hole diggers, but <coughs> instructions and directions. But sometimes they're just bad. Sometimes the instructions don't even tell you what you need to know. Sometimes they're not even in English, right? You ever run into that and you're going, I don't know what this is. Again, I am barely unilingual, barely. I barely know one language, so more than one, forget it. You know, they've got, they've got Spanish, French, Moroccan. I'm like, what? I just want to see what it's saying. So, so you're trying to do this, and, and the instructions are bad. The worst that I hate is when it seems like it skips a step. And you're trying to figure out how did part C end up attached to this monstrosity of a picture that came out of steps 1 through 68? And you're on step 3. You're like, what? what? I'm missing steps here. And it just skips all that information, like you're supposed to know it. Well, this passage is not unclear at all. And there are no missing pieces. There's no missing steps. Everything we need to know is spelled out in easy-to-follow instructions. So, what has to happen for someone to be saved? We saw in verse 13, they have to call on the name of the Lord. Who was the Lord? Geez, that's, that's a Sunday school softball question, y'all. Who's the Lord they got to call on? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. So that's correct. They have to call on the name of the Lord, and the Lord is Jesus. We established that last week in verse 13. So, has God just put an open offer out there in hopes that somebody, somewhere, might just take Him up on it? Here's my son, my only son, in whom I'm well pleased. I'm going to crush him. Man, I hope somebody takes me up on this. Is that what happened? No, that's not what happened. That's hardly, hardly what happened. So much of chapter 9 was about God willing and working from eternity past to elect and effectually call sinners out of darkness and into marvelous light. So what God did was clearly seen. But we've spent the last few weeks seeing how man has a plain responsibility if they are to be saved. They have to call on the name of the Lord. And it's not a ventriloquist dummy where God puts His hand up in your mouth and says, The Lord! And you're like, saved, yes, woo, I'm glad that happened. So how does someone whom God has elected come to call on the name of the Lord? And let's walk backwards through this progression because that's exactly what this verse does. It's walking backwards from those who call on the name of the Lord being saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? So what's the question? What's the first word of the verse? Yeah, don't say Jesus. Look at the, look at the verse. Uh, Jesus? No, no. The question is how. How will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Which makes belief a prerequisite for calling on Jesus if you're going to be saved. So what did I just say? You have to believe before you can call on His name. Right? Now, again, I'm, I don't want to skip a step. I don't want to be ambiguous or unclear. I don't want to give you a twirly arrow that you can't follow. And I'm not, trying, I'm not being... Condescending. I'm, I'm, again, I, it's so important that we understand the order here. So I want to be clear. Belief is a prerequisite for calling on Jesus if you're going to be saved. And we talked last week about what it means to believe, right? Y'all remember that? You're like, I wasn't here last week. Well, to believe means to put your trust in something, or in this case, someone for something specific. It's placing your trust in Jesus to be your righteousness and therefore to save you. That's what believing means. Not trusting in your own work for righteousness, but trusting in the work of Christ. I believe that who Jesus is and what Jesus did is what saves me. That's what belief is. Placing your trust in Him 
and not your own righteousness, but placing your full weight upon Jesus and His work for righteousness. So to be saved, one has to call on Jesus. And to call on Jesus, one has to believe in Him. Okay? But how does one get to a place where they can believe? Next part of the verse. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Now that's almost just too obvious, right? It's pretty clear. How can anyone believe in someone they've never heard of? Y'all believe in Garland Cook? Right. That's my grandpa. Y'all have never met him. He died when I was three. Everybody's like, oh, I shouldn't have laughed. It's fine. It's all right. I've dealt with it. He's in heaven. It's good. So you can't believe in Garland Cook. And you can start to now because I told you something about him. You heard about him, right? So at least you're starting to get the process. <coughs> How can anyone believe in someone they've never heard of? You could exercise blind faith in someone you've never heard of. But listen to me. Blind faith is not saving faith. Blind faith says, okay, whatever. I'll believe what you say. You believe my grandfather's name was Garland Cook. It's only half true. Actually, his name was John Garland Cook. My guy right there coming in, John Moore. Um, so you're starting to get more information. If you just took my word for it that his name was Garland, you would have never known. Hey, wait a second, there's more to this than what I just heard. Blind faith says, whatever, I believe what you say. Without asking questions, without convincing proof, and without conviction. And listen to me, God never even hints at blind faith as a means to save anyone. Amen. Don told the story about the kids in South Africa. They'd say, do you, want to, do you want to believe in Jesus? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, whatever you want me to do. I want to make you happy. That's not saving faith. That's blind faith. Whatever, whatever you want me to do. No conviction behind it. God never even hints at blind faith as a means to save anyone. No, you have to hear about Jesus. You have to process information about Him. You have to hear and comprehend what is being said. The word for hear, here, is akuo, which we get our word, what? Acoustic. And the word means to hear something with the ears and to comprehend and understand it. Now, again, may seem like a silly question, but does that mean that deaf people can't be saved? No, it doesn't mean that. The emphasis in the hearing here is on perceiving and understanding something. Can we communicate with deaf people? Absolutely we can. Deaf people can receive words differently than through the ears, but they can still take in the truth about Jesus and understand it. So again, I just say that because I want you to understand hearing here is emphasizing comprehending something, understanding something, receiving it, whether it's through the written word or the spoken word or through the sign and going, I understand that. And in order to be saved, you have to hear about Jesus. You have to comprehend the facts about Him. You have to understand what's being said. Now, I could just come and say, this Jesus was a really good guy and He wants you to be happy. Oh, I like this Jesus. That's not hearing. That's not understanding. That's not comprehending. That's you wanting to be happy. So be careful. What has to happen for someone to believe is they have to hear, they have to comprehend, they have to understand what is being conveyed through words. Why did God choose words? I don't know. But what did John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. God is high on words. Now, I don't know about you, but it comforts me that you have to comprehend and understand who Jesus is. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus isn't standing at the edge of eternity urging you to leap blindly into the void with no knowledge of Him. Trust me! Who are you? Just trust me. I'm over here. You can't see me. Just jump. 
I'll catch you. Who are you? Just jump. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants to stand and call out and make himself known, making himself clear in order to build trust in who he is and what he has done, what we sang about this morning, so that your faith and your belief is in something solid, unshakable, immovable. There are so many. Anybody, has anybody got an email this week saying that you've inherited $2.3 million from Africa somewhere? I get them all the time. Congratulations. Inheritance issued. I'm like, you know, it's a, yeah. don't open them, y'all. Don't open those emails. You know why? Because they're lying. And they're expecting you to just trust. Why? Because you see dollar signs. I got money? Click, open, they got your information, boom, you're done. Don't trust them. You don't know them. And Jesus isn't that way, sending you an email, congratulations, lottery disbursement, you get heaven. Just trust me. Click this link. Okay, well, that sounds good to me. I want lottery. I want disbursement. Money, money, money. Click again. It's not how Jesus operates. Jesus comes, stands in front of you through the Word, and introduces Himself. This is who I am. This is what I've done. And He says, investigate it. Look into it. And understand the truth. Understand it. Comprehend it. Process it. And then place your faith in me. Not a blind faith, but an informed faith that says this is who Jesus is. Now, let me say quickly, and I'll probably say it again later. Does that mean you've got to fully understand everything about Jesus in order to be saved? No. Because He's God. And you're never going to understand everything. But there are some basic facts that you can't understand. We'll get to that in a minute. Here's the point. When you get Christ, you get facts. When you get Jesus, you get history. You get convincing proofs. We do not follow what Peter called in 2 Peter 1.16, cleverly devised myths. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when, you, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. So they weren't snake oil salesmen knocking on the door, Hey guys, got a good offer for you. We know this guy. What was his name? Jesus, and he can do good stuff for you. You need to ask him into your heart. Okay. Peter said, no, not cleverly devised myths, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. John would say in 1 John, what we've seen, what we've handled, what we've touched, what, we've, what we have clearly seen with our own eyes, heard with our own ears, handled with our own hands, this is what we proclaim to you. And that makes me real happy because I'm not placing my faith in cleverly devised myths. I'm placing my faith in hardcore historical facts Amen. about a real man who was God in the flesh. You are trusting in a person who has done concrete things that would have been recorded and tested and proven since the creation of the world. And that's really good news. So to call on Jesus, you have to believe in Him. To believe in Him you have to have heard about him. But how do we hear? And this, to me, is the most stunning statement in this passage. Let me go back there to 14. Boop. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? You're like, oh, well, you're a preacher. Of course you like that part of the verse. Stay with me. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, it's pretty obvious that in order for you to hear, someone else has to be speaking, have to be communicating in some fashion. And what is the mode of communication here? Preaching. Now, be very careful here. What is preaching? Let me give you the formal definition from Strong's lexicon. Caruso, not Robinson, but Caruso. <clears throat> Used 61 times in the New Testament. The authorized version translates as preach 51 times, publish five times, proclaim twice, preached plus another word twice, and preacher once. And it means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald. Anybody know anybody named Harold? That's not what it's talking about. To proclaim after the manner of a herald, 
always with the suggestion of formality, gravity, and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed, to publish, proclaim openly something which has been done, used of the public proclamation of the gospel and matters pertaining to it made by John the Baptist, by Jesus, by the apostles, and other Christian teachers. So, from that definition, to preach means to proclaim, to herald, and to do so with formality, gravity, and what else? Authority. Hmm. An authority which must be listened to and obeyed. Now we just had this little incident before church. Jeannie came up and said, I got a good one for you. Okay. She said, Asa was back there standing on the table. And Amanda said, you want me to go get daddy? To which Asa replied, he's not going to do anything. Where's the authority there, right? <laughs> Ask me how many times I spanked his hind in yesterday. Let's so cut that out of the message because I'm a social worker. But it's a few. Let me just say it was a few. And he don't like them hard, he says. No, don't do it hard. <laughs> so, an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. Did you catch that? Do you sense the mood of the statement? Formality, gravity, and authority. The preacher, the proclaimer, the herald is not just some chatty blabbermouth who is talking to hear himself or to make himself heard. But the preacher here is heralding a message that is important and must be obeyed. We offer the gospel. The gospel is not an offer, it's a command. More of that in a minute. The definition mentioned the work that John the Baptist, Jesus, the apostles, and other Christian workers did. And it makes my mind turn directly to their opening words. Jesus and John the Baptist both started their preaching with what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a command. There's gravity, there's authority there. And it's not God wants you to be happy that they were proclaiming. It's God commands you to be holy that they were proclaiming. So put that back in our context for today. How are they to hear without someone preaching? If people are going to be saved, if people are going to call on Jesus, they have to believe in Him. If they're going to believe, they have to hear. And if they are to hear, someone has to be proclaiming the truth about Jesus with gravity and authority, heralding the truth about King Jesus, who He is, what He has done, and the command to turn from your sins and obey the gospel. Amen. That's what preachers do. Preaching is imperative if people are going to be saved. And don't fall into the American churchianity mindset that what I'm doing right now is the only way that people can preach. The professional preacher standing in a pulpit can surely be included in this thought pattern of preaching. I hope to God that what I'm doing is preaching. But it's not exclusively my job. It's not exclusively the guy up the road in the pulpit's job. The professional preacher. We'll get back to that in the application. But don't say in your mind, well, I hope the preachers are doing their job well because it's important that people preach. If people are going to hear and if people are going to believe and people are going to call on Jesus, then preachers better get busy. We are all called to proclaim the truth of the gospel as Christians, with gravity, with authority, and a passion to tell the story of the gospel, the story of who Jesus is and what He's done to gain salvation so that He can give it to us. The Sunday morning expositor is not the only one entrusted with the gospel. If you are obedient to the gospel, you are called to preach it. You want more proof of that? Let's go to verse... 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. To call, they have to believe. To believe, they have to hear. To hear, someone has to preach. And to preach, well, what has to happen if somebody's going to preach? The preacher has to be sent. Well, who do you reckon would send preachers to preach the gospel that has to be responded to and obeyed in order for people to be saved? Who do you think would be sending people like that? Maybe the originator of the gospel? Maybe the designer of the gospel? Maybe Jesus Himself? Matthew 28, 18-20? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now there are those who would say that this is not a command to preach the gospel, but I'm here to tell you the gospel is clearest here. Making disciples in all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching those disciples to observe the commands of Jesus and abiding in the truth that when you do these things that Jesus is with you is the very definition of gospel preaching. It's not stating a few facts about the man Jesus and calling for a hand to be raised, an aisle to be walked down, or a card to be signed. Those things in and of themselves can be tools that you use. But the gospel is a command to be obeyed, teaching them to obey, observe all that I have commanded you. The gospel is a life change called for, and it's to be done to all people everywhere to the ends of the earth until the end of time. Someone ask again, who should be preaching the gospel? Who has Jesus sent to herald this great truth? Those who have been affected by it, infected with it, and who are walking in obedience to it. And that's a Christian. When you were saved, you were sent. Period. You weren't saved to sit and soak. You were saved to go and give. Christians are, by supernature, proclaimers, not just claimers. Jesus doesn't give you the Holy Spirit to come and hear. The Spirit is a sending power, an active helper. The Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sends you. When you were saved, you were sent. And you were sent to preach the gospel. Now the context of the passage is saying clearly that the only way that there can be preachers, the only way someone can preach is if they are sent. And we just saw that God's call is inherently a sending call. If that's not so, no one can preach. To preach, you have to be sent. And listen, I'm not talking about having a, a religious experience one Sunday where you say, I feel the call. I feel a call on my life. You're all called. And when God called you, He sent you, if you are a Christian. To preach, you have to be sent. That's the order. That's the design of God. To be saved, you have to call on Jesus. To call on Jesus, you have to believe in Him. To believe in Him, you have to hear of Him. And to hear of Him, somebody has to preach. And if someone's going to preach, God has to send them. So now tie these thoughts back into chapter 9 with God's sovereignty. Where does salvation begin? Salvation, Revelation 7.10, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And if you look at this cycle back in Romans, there's a call for people to preach and hear and believe and call on Jesus, but it all starts with what? God sending. And thank God He does send. And in sending, He starts a cycle wherein He provides a way of salvation for who? For all who call on the name of the Lord. And that's good news. 
And God wants people to know Him so that He gets praise. And when people know Him, they praise Him. So He sends so that they can know and love and praise and glorify the sender. And that's illustrated in that next part of the verse. Let me go back to 15. Which is a little weird if you ask me. This next part of the verse. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now you might be asking yourself, what... What's feet got to do with this? Or you might be asking yourself, how does this little part of the passage illustrate God getting praised for sending? Let me read the verse out of context that it's quoted from. It's quoted from Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. That's a pretty good verse. But let me read the immediate context of that verse, which is Isaiah 52, 6 through 10. (laughs) Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Ooh, there's some good news coming and there's some feet bringing it. And the news that these feet are bringing is that the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now wake up, Jerusalem. It's going to be good for you, but it's not just good for you. God's going to get praise from the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah, God's getting some praise there. And again, Paul's Jewish readers in particular would have had a grasp of this context when he quoted it. They would have been familiar with Isaiah's words. And verse 10 rings with praise to the Lord when it says, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. No words need to be added to that. It's pretty self-explanatory. But just a quick note on back in Romans, how this ties in. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. It's an odd statement, isn't it? You ever say, like, you hear the doorbell and it's dominoes. You're like, beautiful are thy feet, O pizza man. (laughs) He's like, all right. You can have it. Don't worry about a tip. (laughs) So what's up with that phrase, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? When a battle was won or something happened far off and they wanted to let people back home know, they'd send a runner, literally, a runner, a herald if you will, to take the news back home. I, I Read through the life of David. And there's one point where they're like, hey, that's so-and-so I can tell by the way he's running. So this guy was a runner. That's what he did. <laughs> Battle went good. <laughs> Battle's good. We won. Yay! Everybody's happy. When that messenger would come, it was the news that they were bringing that was beautiful that made their appearing a thing of beauty to the recipients. So when it talks about beautiful feet... It's as though they are saying that the news that they bring make everything about them beautiful, even their dusty, dirty feet. As those sent to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen guys, the news we carry makes us beautiful. The news we carry makes us beautiful. And it makes us beautiful to those that we are bringing this wonderful news to. Sent ones bringing good news are beautiful from head to toe because of the power, the beauty, and the authority of the gospel. You ever look at somebody and say, man, them some fine feet. 
There's people like that. I'm not going to judge you. So we're going to skip verse 16. I said that. Don't stone me. We'll get it next week. Go to verse 17 to finish up. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing from, or through, sorry. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Again, trust me on skipping the one verse. It'll work. I'm not trying to twist it and manipulate things. But you always say, you're not going to skip any verses. I'm not skipping it. I'm turning it in. So we've been through the chain of events that lead to someone being saved. This verse, verse 17, gives us that in a nutshell. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling on the name of the Lord is putting your faith in Him. But where does faith come from? We find that out here. That's huge. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now we've seen through so much of Romans, especially in chapters 1 through 6, that we are justified by faith alone apart from works of the law. And we can talk all we want about having faith and mustering up faith and strengthening your faith and faith like a mustard seed and faith and faith and faith and faith and faith. But if I'm going to look at you and say, your eternal destiny, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, depends on your faith, I better know where you can find some of that faith. If you're going to come to faith in Jesus... You have to place your faith in them. <laughs> okay. You have to have faith. And if I come to you and say that, you have every right to look at me and say, well, where's that faith come from? And here we find out and can tell people the answer to that. Listen, if you are going to obtain faith that's going to come from hearing about Jesus, there's only one place to find it. Where's that at? Where do, we, where do we learn about Jesus? In the Scripture. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. If you're going to obtain faith, it's going to be faith that comes from hearing about Jesus through the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes through the Word of Christ. Kind of like what we talked about in verse 15. This is not just learning facts about Jesus who he was, where he was born, what color his eyes were, what his favorite food was, or even just basic stuff that he taught. No, it is the word about Christ. We saw back in verse 13 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That held the meaning that to call on his name was to truly know, he is, know that he is God, that he was God in the flesh who obtained our atonement by his incarnation, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his position now as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who you have to call on to be saved. And it's the word, the teaching, the true processing of these truths, these words about Christ that must be heard in your ear, your mind, your heart in order to have saving faith. You want faith? Look at Jesus. You want faith? Look in the Scriptures and see who the Bible says that Jesus is. And what the Bible says, who the Bible Jesus says is... Who the Bible... Who, yeah. The Bible says that Jesus was God. And you're like, well, you don't have to believe that to be saved. Yes, yes you do. If God Himself was not hanging on that tree to pay the penalty for my sins, that sacrifice was insufficient. You have to know who Jesus was. You have to know what Jesus did. You have to hear it. You have to comprehend it. And you have to develop faith from those facts. And listen, I'm not just saying information. Yes, there has to be revelation. The Holy Spirit of God Himself has to open your eyes to the truth of that. We are saved by grace through faith and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. You want faith? Look for Jesus. You want to look for Jesus? Look in the Scriptures. Listen to the preachers who are preaching who Jesus is who Jesus was, what Jesus did. That's where your faith is going to come from. Nowhere else.
His work is what is necessary to understand in order to be saved. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, where Jesus is, why Jesus has to be the only way. All these truths about Him bring about faith in an individual and then that faith is activated to bring about salvation. When you know the truth about Jesus, you are ripe to be saved. Which makes it imperative that we, as those who know Him and love Him and who are seeking to do His will, are telling people about Him. I've heard so many people teach and give testimonies and they say, just tell them what God's done for you. That's not all right. Well, I just, I have felt better since I got saved. So faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of you feeling better since you got saved. Now I'm coming pretty hard there, I know, that's kind of harsh. And your story is part of the story, but your story is a continuation of the story that's already taken place, which is who Jesus is and what He did. Yes, tell them how your life has been changed, because that is part of the story. But if that's the only part of the story you preach, no one will ever be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Jesus Himself said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Your testimony about your life is not enough. I'm not saying don't share it, but please don't make that all that you share. If we want to see people saved, we have to be talking about, with words, the words of the gospel, the words of the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, guess what? It's necessary. Well, I just got this thing going on called lifestyle evangelism. And it's insufficient and sends people to hell. Your lifestyle is not enough to save anybody. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. Which brings us to application. There's no other way. So what do we do with this? I got a three point. Okay, the application points today are PTG. You got me? Three points, P-T-G. The first one is, preach the gospel. That's point one. That's application point one. Second application point is, preach the gospel. And the third application point is, preach the gospel. P-T-G. Can you all remember that? Can you remember all three of them? Second one's tricky. Might cause you to stumble a little bit. I got three application points this morning, and that's it, guys. Preach the gospel. The gospel. If you are a Christian, you are a herald, and you have been sent to proclaim good news out there. Yes, in here too. We need it. Christians need the gospel as much as non-Christians. And I need you to preach it to me over and over and over again. Ask Martin Luther, Martin Luther, why do you preach the gospel every week? He said, because every week you come back in here and have lived like you don't believe it. So as you are going, as you are making disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, your job is to preach the gospel with words. Now listen, that calls you to account. That calls you to accountability. To preach it, you've got to know it. How are you going to know it? You've got to look in the Scripture. You've got to ask people who you've heard preaching the gospel. How do you do that? Tell me about how you preach the gospel. You've got to know the facts. You've got to know them in order. You've got to know the best way to present it. And there's all kinds of tools out there to present it. There's some sitting right there. Care Beaner. Listen, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. God has chosen one way to see people saved. One. The preaching of the gospel. There's no other way. He's not going to save anyone any other way. Romans 1.16 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. What did I just say? What I just said was there's, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And those of you that are worried that we talk elections so we're not going to preach the gospel, I hope you hear me saying that is not true. There's only one way that God saves people and it's when the gospel is preached by those who have been affected by it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We've got this perfect diamond wrapped up in aluminum foil in our pocket. And it sits there and we never show anybody. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. That's not my goal. I'm trying to empower you with the truth that you have been entrusted with the oracles of God about the work of Jesus Christ that will save people. What are you doing with it? Preach the gospel. There is no other way that people are going to be saved. Well, I sure wish my uncle was saved. Preach the gospel to him. I sure wish my sister was saved. Preach the gospel to her. My best friend don't know Jesus. Preach the gospel to your friend. Let me read a couple of passages and we'll be done. It'll illustrate this. I want you to hear. This is amazing to me. Paul, this is Titus 1, 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God and the apostle and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in His word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. He's been entrusted with it, he says. Before the ages began, there was something. Paul was entrusted with it. And how was it manifested? In God's word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of our God and Savior. There's no other way. You're like, well, Paul was a preacher. He should be preaching. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You want to know why God chose preaching? I have no idea. The Godhead in council before the foundation of the world, let's use preaching. No disagreement. And they said, Amen. And from the foundation of the world, the proclamation, the proclaiming, the heralding of the truth about God has been the way that people have been saved and no other way. You say, what about those folks that didn't know about Jesus? Their faith was in a God who was going to complete the work that He started. They didn't know how He was going to do it exactly. And He gave them incremental pieces through the Old Testament. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. He's going to come in Bethlehem. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to set people free from their sins. And Jesus showed up and they missed Him. Listen to me. Week after week after week after week, you sit here and you hear the foolishness of God through a foolish person. What are you doing with it? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. 
question for you this morning is, are you preaching Christ crucified? Because there's no other way people will be saved. Back to St. Francis as we close. Remember the quote? Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Well, I think we can see from our study today that it's pretty, well, not good to not use words to preach the gospel. Yes, you should live a life that shows that you have been changed by the gospel. That's a given. A life empowered and infected with the Spirit of God is going to be a life lived well. But that life in and of itself is not enough to see people saved. Lifestyle evangelism is simply an excuse to avoid preaching the gospel. And that just won't work if we are to see people saved. Calling on Jesus, believing in Jesus, hearing about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, being sent by Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That is the gospel progression. No steps missed, no curvy arrows that are confusing here. I think this is plain. The good news is that we can preach the gospel with words. And the power of the Holy Spirit of God in us and through us activates faith in the elect. That's the gospel. Learn it, live it, love it. Preach the gospel. The good news, by the way, about Francis, St. Francis, is that there are no good sources that prove that Francis' quote was actually said by him. And I'm glad. I just think about naked Francis walking around saying, <laughs> I said naked. Um, so there's, there's no, good, no good proof that Francis said that. It's a historical snafu that just isn't true. But regardless, it's a lousy quote. I had a shirt that said that once. And I threw it in the garbage because I'm hardcore. <laughs> I threw it in the garbage because it wore out. Um, but the verse is just lousy theology. And it's lousy evangelism. Listen to me, church. Listen to me, believer. Preach the gospel. Preach Christ with your life and with your words. Let's pray. God, you are faithful. <laughs> and you're amazing. Because you use weakness and you use foolishness. You use preachers. And I know a lot of people that put no faith in preachers because they know the kind of people that they are. I pray that you would enable us to live lives worth imitating. And I pray even more so, God, that you would enable us and empower us to preach the gospel with words that calls people to say how beautiful are the feet of the one proclaiming this good news. It does take your Spirit's power. And God, you have concocted a perfect plan that if we would simply follow it, you would receive glory and people would be saved. God, give us Southern West Virginia. And I ask that, God, that you would give us Southern West Virginia as a mission field to go out into and preach the gospel. And that we can launch forth from here to impact the ends of the earth until the end of time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we not be satisfied until we see every knee bowing, every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we know that that will not happen until we see you in heaven face to face. But God, may we work, labor, preach with intensity until that faith becomes sight. We need the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might proclaim the truth about your Son, Father. We ask you to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction, a good word I'd like to proclaim over all you all? Gospel's good news.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.